Hi. You guys want some cookies? 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 Welcome back to the garage. Welcome to another edition of the Throwback Podcast. My name is Dan Hansis, and I'm joined as I always am by my bosom buddy, Bobby Castrone. Hey, Bob. Rock and roll, Dan. Rock and roll, bro. Yeah, yeah. We got our whole lives in front of us. (laughs) No, we don't. (laughs) We have six to nine months left. Oh, no. (laughs) Um, That's Jackie Daytona. Yeah, I wanted to talk My about this. My friend, Jack Doyle. Your friend, Jack Doyle, who you were hanging out with in Texas, uh, and who is just making a killing on that Jackie Daytona name. Oh, my God. I mean, Jack is one of the great dudes. And again, as we've said before, that is coming to get you off uh, the Jackie Daytona debut album that came out a couple of years ago, which you can get She's So Hot. And he's working on the new album right now. And um, it's a passion project for Jack, but also became one that became profitable because there's a show. What's it called? Shadows. Things we do in the dark or something? Something like that. Yeah. They come in the shadows. Something like that. You know what song. You know know what show we're talking about. It's it's a cult hit. I believe it's on Netflix uh, or one of the Or FX. I don't know. (laughs) Let's get this right. Things they do in the dark. Things they do in the. You know. Anyway, there's a character on that show. Things they do in the shadows. Things they do in the shadows. There's a character on the show called Jackie Daytona that uh, is a fan favorite of some kind. Played by Mark Hamill. Played by Mark Hamill. Oh, my God. Who is Luke Skywalker. So people then do Google searches. They find an artist, a musical artist named Jackie Daytona. And because the Internet and uh, nerd culture is a funny thing. People started buying the merch for Jackie Daytona, <laughs> the band, because they love Jackie Daytona, the character in this FX series. And um, now let's let's take another step back here. Jackie Daytona is not like a name you kind of stumble upon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the creator of the show or the writer of the show allowed that he was aware that that was a band. Is there some IP property infringed upon? I don't know. There might be, but I'm speaking for myself, not for uh, Jack right now. But at the very least, he's getting his own kind of residuals because people are listening to the music and buying the album and buying the merch. So a nice little story there for Jackie Daytona. How about boy. that, you know, I uh, we can't take any credit for it. We've mm-hmm. helped him zero percent since we've played his song a hundred and ten times since the beginning of this podcast, nobody's bought anything from him thanks to our podcast, I would assume. I disagree. I like to think that the showrunner of The Things We Do in the Shadows is a big throwback fan fan who then found Jackie through there and the way we go. Okay. And Jack Doyle, who I hung out with in Texas a couple weeks ago, um, wants to give us some Jackie Daytona T-shirts. Let's do it. So what size are you? Extra small was that? XS, yeah. Wow, you are really... uh, You know, you are, to me... Someone to look up to in this pandemic. How to stay fit? Yeah, I was. How to uh, stay? You know, I've been a, I've the way been you a, want to stay. Been a medium for many years, but in light of staying home with uh, with the family, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to get extra small, and that's what I've done. I'm I am so tiny now. It's amazing. <laughs> it's there is my neighbor right here in the rented garage. I could say it because there's no way to piece it together. My wife and I marvel at this neighbor. He's he's probably around our age. And uh, I don't see him much except for when he takes out the uh, trash cans on mm-hmm. Thursday night. 
And they're, the shirts that he wears. Remember Scotty, the Philip Seymour Hoffman character in Boogie Nights? Oh, yeah. I'm a fucking idiot. That guy? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Remember how the T-shirts were always ill-fitting? Yeah. And you felt bad for him? Mm-hmm. This dude chooses to wear basically what Bob would look like in an extra small. Right. Bad that, decision. Like it doesn't look good. Things pouring out of the wrong places. Right. At some point, at a certain point, you need to kind of come to grips with the size shirt you should be wearing mm-hmm. and just move forward. Right. Do not size down because that's what your size was in 2006. At some point, you're going to have to size up. Don't assume like, oh, I'll get back in there. No. In the meantime, wear something else. It's a goal to have, but a goal that will not be fulfilled because now you live in a apocalyptic wasteland known as the world <laughs> where there's a killer bug that will not allow you to live the life you want to live or reach the goals that you want to uh, reach. Well, I don't know about you, but uh, my gym is open right now. I could totally just go and work out at the Gold's Gym in Arcadia if I wanted to. So, Is it really? Yeah, it's open. People go? I don't know. I haven't. Because of coronavirus, I haven't. That's why I haven't gone. Nice, bro. Yeah. Body's a temp. All right. <laughs> I'm excited about today's show. You are you are pounding the table for the old Foo Fighters. I'm excited too, but this one has been on the tip of your tongue. Dick. Okay. The tip of your dick for quite some time now. For like uh, a couple of, for well, like about a, for about a week. For about a week. <laughs> you know why? Because uh, the Foo Fighters which is really essentially the album we're talking about, the debut album, is a Dave Grohl solo album that spun out of Nirvana when uh, Kurt Cobain committed suicide in 1990. By the way. Wait, what? Yes. Wait, did this yep. Did this just come out? I haven't been on Twitter. Is this? Yes, it happened. Fuck. Well, unless Courtney had something to do with it. Wait, who? He's married? We're, we're spilling tea over here. Ew. Oh, go hated that. I hated, hated that. I hate myself. Myself. Anyway, Foo Fighters came out of Nirvana, and it was a solo album. It happened 25 years ago. So why that? not visit uh, or revisit the self-titled first album? We did The Color and the Shape, which is, I would guess, the Foo Fighters' best-selling album, mm-hmm. which came out a few years after this. Uh, but this album is where it all started, and it has uh, several bangers, Bob. And it's also an album... Um, that I'm excited to revisit because I don't think I've listened to it in full in probably, this album came out 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say about 24 and a half years yeah, ago. sounds about right. There are songs I love on this album, but uh-huh. in terms of like sitting and listening to the whole thing, it's been a while. Yeah, when we talk about like big albums or we talk about important albums in our in the context of our lives, this was an important album because we were... This was huge. We were big alternative rock fans we were nirvana fans and when the drummer from nirvana was putting out his own album that was a big deal for people like us right it was essentially it it felt like you know obviously not a new nirvana album but it was it felt like kind of the next era for alternative music that here was the drummer of foo fighters but at the same time of nirvana but at the same time it was like we didn't know anything about Dave Grohl. Right. So it was kind of a leap of faith to think that this album was going to be any good or the Foo Fighters would be around. And how crazy is it that 25 years later, uh, they are one of the kind of veteran arena rock bands that most people can agree on uh, as you know one of the top rock bands of the past quarter century. Who yeah. would have guessed that? It was asking a lot of the drummer from Nirvana to go make a band that would be bigger than Nirvana in a lot of ways. 
at least, yeah, well, certainly in longevity. And it turned out they have more hits. And, you know, it all started with Foo Fighters in 1995. Anything else before we want to get rolling here, Bob? Anything well, you want to get off your uh, chest? By the way, your beard's coming in, and it's infringing upon your mustache, which I know you're very proud of. Very proud of the mustache. And I feel like on social media you've gotten mostly positive feedback on it when you've made posts on Instagram and the like. So I figured out the thing with the mustache. I figured out how to win with a mustache. Here's what you need to do. You need to get over the beginning phases of a mustache. Okay. Like the initial jarring aspect of, oh my God, what's that on your face? Right. I look like fucking shit. You got to get past that. I look like shit. Uh, Is it ironic? Everybody's laughing at me. Are they laughing at me? You have to get over that. Once you kind of wade through that muck. I look like Howard Stern when he was a DJ in Detroit in 1983. <laughs> you got to get past that. You got to get past that. I look like every guy in a 1985 music video right. that's supporting the better looking lead singer. Right. Yeah. You got to get past that. Past that. When you come out the other end, you have a mustache and people are just kind of used to it. You, that's, that is the it case. It stops getting weird. And before you know it, people are like, I, I like it on you. That I think that is, I think you hit on it there at the end. Once it loses its novelty, so in most cases when something loses its novelty is when it's no longer effective. Once it loses the, oh, Bob, nice porn stash or mm-hmm. whatever. Oh, who are you, uh, Magnum P.I.? Once you get past that, yep. then you enter this the zone where you need to get, but it's so hard to get there. It has been really fun, though, because since most of our life now uh, is Zoom meetings and that kind of thing, mm-hmm. having the conversation starter for the first five minutes of a Zoom meeting right. based on my face is perfect because right. it's just like like I'm doing, a, I'm trying to do something with uh, our friend John Gabris right now. And every time we're on a Zoom with a bunch of producers, people spend the first five minutes like, hey, are you going to sell me a souffleki or like Baba Booey joke, whatever it is. And it's great. It's just like, don't sell this man. A, don't sell this man a van without windows. It's like all these great. And those see, those are the type of jokes like the pedophile, creepy yeah. uncle jokes that if you look at it like someone swimming out to sea and those are the type of waves that knock somebody down and they yeah. shave it. So you're able to take oh, those I love it. I'm and the just one, slide I'm, over them. I'm the one making them. I mean, I think it's great because then it just helps people get more used to it. It's like the fat kid at summer camp who's like, <laughs> I'm going to call myself fat so people can't do yeah, it. Yeah, the more we talk about it, the less confident I am actually about the mustache. I was actually feeling really good about it until just now. The key to having a successful mustache is you find the biggest biggest guy and beat the shit out of him. <laughs> but I will say one last thing. You mentioned the beard coming in. There's a balance between having scruff in the mustache and being clean shaven in the mustache. Right. Clean shaven in the mustache, it's like Weird Al. You're all the way in. You're all the way in, and yeah. it doesn't look great. So you need some scruff. It's getting a little long right now. Yeah. Okay. That's what I'm learning. It's a little sloppy now. As a mustache guy, that's what I'm learning. You're a mustache guy. I'm a mustache guy. On our last episode, I begrudgingly accepted that I might be a John Mellencamp guy. We're all turning into different things How in our 40s. How do you 40s. feel about that? I feel pretty good. Okay. I, I think so. I'm not, you know. I know, I know. I you're you you're, you're torn on it. I get it. It's like, do do I want my bosom buddy to be a mustache guy at age forty? Because there's really no coming back from that. <laughs> there's not. Well, we'll see. You know what? At the end of coronavirus, here's the other thing. I haven't had to be in a room of people since I started this. Right. That's going to be a total game changer. If I show up to work the first day with a mustache and I get the looks, 
or I get people saying things in person, that's a totally different thing. So we'll right. see how we'll see Let if me, I can. What is the it. what's the current? I know many shows you don't like because you have grudges with various people throughout the industry. Yes, but what is the <laughs> show that you love more than any other show that's currently on the air? Comedy, drama, whatever it is. Oh, me and the wife are big into billions right now. All right, billions. Okay, billions improbably uh, reaches out to your representative and says, "Hey, we'd love to meet with Bob." Uh, this is post-vaccine. We'd yeah. love to meet with Bob in person to talk about, we want to punch up these scripts. We want to have more of a yeah. comedic slant yeah, yeah. Uh, to this new character we're introducing. Uh, can he meet us at Paramount Studios uh, a week from Tuesday? I would have serious, serious reservations about showing up there with a mustache. I don't know. I don't know what I would do. Because you're not a mustache guy if, you, if, you don't, if you're not willing to go to the biggest interview of your life uh, with the mustache. That's the true test. My whole life, I'll wonder whether or not the mustache helped or hurted me one way or the other. Like if if I don't get it afterwards, it's like, and I shaved the mustache, it's like, I bet the mustache would have saved me. I would have got it. You just passed your 10-year anniversary, uh, uh, marriage anniversary with Heather. Yep. If you were getting married next week, (laughs) would you shave the mustache? No. No, she'd have to marry a man with a mustache. I don't believe you. See, I know that. So you're not a mustache guy yet. Not yet. I guess Until not you yet. say that, yes, I would. Right. Okay. Right. You are, though, all that being said, you are a John Cougar Mellencamp fan. Fuck you. So. Fuck you. Let's go back to July 4th, 1995, when neither of us were either of those things. Exactly. Uh, but before we get to Foo Fighters, let's uh, check in on the Billboard charts, the number one song in... July 1995 on the Alternative Rock Charts. Oh, I love this band. It's the third best song from a Batman soundtrack. You two got banged twice on major soundtracks in this era with good songs that got overshadowed. Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me, which we're listening to right now, uh, overshadowed by Kiss from a Rose by Seal. Yes. Okay. Fast forward to, remember the City of Angels soundtrack? Oh, Which big every girl in college had yes. in the late 90s. Uh, has a really good pop era song called If God Will Send His Angels, mm-hmm. completely overshadowed by Iris by Goo Goo Dolls. Yep. And I would say, and the Alanis Morissette song off that one, too. You're uninvited. I remember thinking this was a pretty cool song. I want to say, and listeners of the show know U2 is my favorite band, but this is when I got into U2, and I think this might be ground zero. That makes sense, because it's definitely a song I enjoyed without any of the baggage of knowing that you were going to fucking love it. <laughs> no, because I wasn't a U2 fan. Because you weren't fan. a huge U2 fan yet. So I, I remember wasn't. I liked this song. I was like, oh, that's a cool song. And I think the reason why, by the way, I... That's still a strange statement by you, but that's that's how you've always been. Um, one of the reasons you don't like U2 is because I like them. 
but you know what? I guess I don't like Ben Lee. So that's I guess we're even there. We're completely even. Those are that's a completely perfect parallel. Um, but when this song came out in the summer of '95 on the Batman Forever soundtrack, I remember thinking that it was cool that this band that was kind of like my sister's band or like your your older sister or brother's band, you two, mm-hmm. they were putting out a song that kind of sounded modern and cool and different than the songs you knew from them. And so it was kind of for me like the gateway into uh, investigating their 90s stuff, which I love. And uh, that's why um, this song to me has, uh, I have fond memories of the song for that reason. It's not even like one of my favorite songs of the decade for you two, but it it really did open up the uh, the portal for me to start digging into their stuff. Yeah, well, thanks, Batman Forever, for that. And you know, it was a it was supposed to be on Zuropa, and they pulled it. You know, Zuropa could have used the song on it. Yeah, it's a cool song. It's got a cool sound. Because if Zuropa, which is the follow up to Act on Baby, which we've done on this podcast. I like how weird Zuropa is, but you know what it needed? Just like maybe a locked and loaded first single. Mm-hmm. And that would have been it. Could have been it. But somehow they survived. So the Foo Fighters album, self-titled, came out July 4th, 1995. Weird day for an album to come out, but what Must can you do? Tuesday. It was a Tuesday. Uh, Post Malone, born July 4th, 1995. Holy shit. Bob Ross died. July 4th, 1995. Bob Ross died in 95? Bob Ross what died. What got Ross? Uh, gangbangers. <laughs> Just like 30 of them came into his house in Muncie, Indiana. Shot him up good. Shot him up good. Well, yep. he, had, well he, he had, had it coming. He had enemies on both sides. He had it coming. Yeah. What else? Murder-suicide. That's it. That's all I got. I thought that was enough. It's kind of cool. <laughs> all right. Let's get into it. I, yeah. I have a... a, a Clear as day memory, even though it happened 25 years ago, of uh, us sitting outside Tapeville in Nanuet, New York, in Rockland County, which now, by the way, is across the street. It doesn't exist anymore, but it was a very cool uh, record shop, uh, something that doesn't really exist anymore for the most part, uh, that is now across the street from where my parents' retirement condo is. How about oh, that? wow. Uh, but I remember us sitting outside uh, looking at the CD, Bob. And the reason that we were excited about this Foo Fighters album, despite the fact that it was the drummer of Nirvana, so why would you mm-hmm. get so excited and hopeful about an album? Is because the first single was a fucking killer song. And uh, it is track one on Foo Fighters. It is This Is A Call. The guy can sing. He can sing. He can write a melody. It kind of sounds like Nirvana, but also sounds like something new at the same time. This was such a great way to kind of introduce Dave Grohl to the public. This is a call. 
Yeah, and it was crazy to see him holding a guitar. That took a little adjusting, too. Like, physically, when you see a musician holding a guitar that you're not used to holding a guitar, you, you got you to take a second to absorb that. Like, when Eddie Vedder started holding a guitar, it was a little weird for us. Same with Dave Grohl. Seeing him as a front man took some getting used to, but this was, like you said, the perfect first single. I love this. Listen to this. And this is Dave Grohl on drums and Dave Grohl on guitar and Dave Grohl on bass and Dave Grohl singing. Uh, it's essentially a solo album. Uh, he put it under Foo Fighters as the, um, the band, but he built out the band later. Added Pat Smear, of course. Added Taylor Hawkins, the blonde drummer from Alanis Morissette's band, and turned it into a real band. But it started just as a glorified solo album. That's a cool move, though, like putting out a solo album as a band. Like, it's kind of like a selfless thing, you know, because if, if this would have just come out as like Dave Grohl, Dave Grohl, this is a call. Right. Like, everything would have been different. But that's not his style. That's not his style. And and because it came out 25 years ago this month, um, he's been giving some interviews and there's been some write-ups on it. And you learn, you get a little more perspective on it. And he was so broken up by the death of Kurt Cobain that he had a bunch of, bunch of songs kind of in the can while he was still in Nirvana. This is not one of the songs. This one was written uh, after Cobain's death. But he was kind of sheepish about showing them to Cobain, uh, playing them for anyone. For, so instead he put it on a mixtape, on a tape, uh, the demo essentially of this album, and gave it to some friends and just said, listen to this. And then everyone was basically telling him, what the fuck, bro? You got to get this out there. So I don't think he's the type of guy that was like, Dave Grohl, this is a call. Nirvana lives on. Like he, You could tell he didn't really know what to do next, and um, what came next was great. If Dave Grohl would have gone with the title, the Dave Grohl Band, would there have been a Dave off in the mid-'90s? What would have happened? Who would have been Dave? (laughs) I'm so happy. I am so happy he didn't do that. (laughs) Great song. Great way to start an album. Great way to start a band. I think it's one of the best alternative songs of the 90s. And it's... I love the I love this is a call. I love that it it does feel like a, a statement of intent, even if he is by his nature not a boastful or you know arrogant type guy. It was his announcement that you know I am someone not to fuck with. Mm-hmm. Give me a chance. Um, all right. And what I love about this album, Bob, is that it comes out of the gate on fucking fire, because this is a call is a great way to start uh, the album. Obviously, uh, then it rolls straight into the second. Si- I think it was the second single, Bob. I'll double check, but rolls into the second single, which again, Dave Grohl's playing drums. He's his own secret weapon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he's the, got drummer, this- the drummer, which is often the weakest part of a band, right. which is why they go. Most bands go through a few of them. Dave Grohl's one of the best drummers of all time. The secret weapon was the drummer, who was also the singer, who was also the guitarist. Listen to how "I'll Stick Around" begins. Yeah! <laughs> ah! I'm gonna burn this fucking place down. 
I'll stick around. This was definitely the second single, right? Second single released by the Foo Fighters on May 25th. Excuse me, no, it was recorded May 25th, 1997. What? Oh, no, no, it was recorded October 1994. Um, released as the second single in 1995. And uh, I think it's another one of their best songs and also passes one of the great tests, Bob. Weird Al Yankovic included I'll Stick Around in his polka medley, the alternative polka. That's how you know. Bad hair day. That's All right, here comes the chorus. Know. before the song to me hits its peak yeah uh, but uh, your thoughts on this one Bob yeah this was just there was something more melodic about that first song and when this came out this is kind of like when you knew that Dave Grohl wasn't fucking around like it's angrier it has like that early to mid 90s pissed off youth generation X element to it this sounds more like a Nirvana song to me totally with the quiet loud dynamic of it all it's weird to think that he was in the studio recording this six months after Kurt killed himself. It is pretty crazy. But what are you going to do? Like, yeah. Can't judge I mean, him. Got to get him I on. think that's, yeah. He Basically, that was his headspace. He was like, am I just going to... He had two choices. Be a, a drummer for hire, join Tom Petty's band or whoever's right. band, or like do his own thing. He took a risk. He bet on himself, and it worked out. All right, here it comes. I would say this might be my favorite part of the whole album coming up. Oh, and I love the first single, but here we go. Great rock and roll music. Also worth noting, in 95 when this came out, DJs and VJs had a, had a fucking field day talking about the lyrics, I don't owe you anything, and what they mean. Oh, everything was... Everything was about what this song is. Like, that's obviously about Kurt. I'll stick around. What's he saying? It was being so analyzed. This is a call to my past resignations. Everything. Yeah. And you imagine, like... And he's said this, and he's opened up more and more as he's gotten older, Grohl. But like he idolized Kurt Cobain. He was very young. He was a teenager when he joined Nirvana. And um, I think he was 23 or 24 when the band ended, when Cobain died. And, you know, to feel crushed by his death and not knowing what to do next in your life. And everyone knows how fucking hard it is to be 24, 25 years old. And... And then you do make this big leap out on your own. And then all anybody wants to talk to you about was your dead best friend or your dead, mm-hmm. um, you know, close friend and idol. Like that could not have been easy. 25 years later, though, if this would have all happened and the drummer of whatever band, Pao Fu, releases. Definitely Pao Fu. Releases a song that says, I don't owe you anything. He would be 
raked over the coals before anybody even heard the song. So it speaks to how, yes, everybody was analyzing everything Dave Grohl said, but it wasn't, even then, it wasn't even close to the scrutiny people have now. Right. I think also this video um, is one of the great bad 90s videos. Do you remember it? Yeah, it wasn't a great video. It was like a floating spore or some type of like, maybe it was coronavirus. And this was, Shit. It was wait the, a second, wait, bro. was that it? Bro, did we find where coronavirus came from? Did Dave Grohl try to stop it or did he start it? Put it on the board. Put it on the corona board. Do we need to start a corona board? I think we definitely You know what we should do? do? We should do that cool thing. You know the, you know what? the blackboards where you flip the black backboard, blackboard and then the other side's a brand new blackboard? Throw out the 911 board. Throw, Throw it, it out. out. Throw it out. We're done. No, I'm not. No, Bob, Bob, you're getting getting overexcited. Tearing everything down, tearing all the string down, tearing Take off, the string down. Tearing down the picture of Shaggy, tearing down all, right. all of the things on the Bono, everything's coming Let's off compromise. the board. Let's compromise. Let's compromise. You could take down the strings. Okay. You could t- on the windows where we wrote in that the red uh, crayon thing, yeah, yeah. all different equations. The one that we stare out drinking coffee yes. when it's raining. Yeah. Wash that off. Okay. Um get rid of all that but we got to keep the blackboard that you could flip around and then there's the the, the opposite side of the blackboard. Okay. So you have you have okay. some basic 911 theories Bono, and then on the other side. Bono Shaggy. Bono did the shit. Right. Shaggy maybe did the shit. But he says he didn't do it. It wasn't right. him. Right. It wasn't him. Right. Um, and then we have a new board that's coronavirus and did it start with the L stick around video. <laughs> Man. All right, this is, we have we're putting a, we're tackling a lot pretty heavy. It's a lot for two men to handle, but if anybody can do it, Especially it's us. if we're the two men. <laughs> I can't even fit into my shirt. It's an extra small. <laughs> I do respect it, though, because most people, oh, that guy's trying to squeeze into a schmedium. Bob went extra small. Excess. Big Me, which you may be surprised to learn, Bob, was not an officially released single. Fuck you. Hey, man, don't take it out on me, bitch. Um, according to Wiki, it's not. But, of course, it was a very popular video on MTV where it lampooned the uh, popular Mentos commercials of the time. And I think this, this song and really the video, and it shows how different things are now, uh, was as big a reason for becoming popular as anything. Absolutely. This was the the debut of Funny Dave Grohl. Right. Nobody had any idea that this dude had any sort of sense of humor. Absolutely. And he's like known as the nice guy of rock and blah, blah, blah. But he really does have a legitimate, like, great sense of humor. And uh, he kind of nails the video. Nails the video. Totally nails it. And, I mean, we're... 25 years removed from those commercials now, but those commercials were omnipresent, perfectly ripe for parody. And he nailed it. And he nailed it. Fucking guy. This guy hit the <laughs> ground running. This guy did it all. It's almost like Grohl figured it out. And the song's already over. Yeah. Yeah. 
that's a great example of a song that's not a second longer than it has to be. Right. Like if that song had one more verse, I would have hated that. Exactly. Song. Yeah. Uh, Big Me is the fourth single from Foo Fighters. Okay. That's on nice. their self-titled de- debut mm-hmm. album, released in the spring of 1996. The song became a crossover hit for the band on pop radio, Bob, and it reached number 13 on the Billboard Hot 100 airplay. I wonder if that is the biggest hit they ever had. Hmm, it's a good question. I, I, that, I doubt it. Though. That kind of like sneaky, shitty song, "Learn to Fly," would be my <laughs> guess. If I had to guess, what was the most popular Foo Fighters song? I uh, see, "Learn to Fly," "Everlong," or "My Hero." It's going to be one of those three. That's my guess. All right, I'm just curious about "Learn to Fly." That peaked at 19. Okay, that secretly shitty song. I never. I just always felt it was very kind of like a generic rock mm-hmm. song. It just never did anything for me. Uh, all right, but it wasn't a bigger hit. It was nineteen. Big Me was thirteen. Anyway, I I never uh, I never really did that much for me to be honest with you. The song, I liked the video, and mm-hmm. there used to be a time in the world where uh, those two things mattered. Like, oh, how's the video? The video was really good. The song, eh. it's funny because there's almost something like mid album fillery to the song itself. If you separate it from the video, and you just listen to everything else on this album, it does have a different sort of sound to it where it's kind of like a palate cleanser before getting into more rock and roll. Two minutes and 13 seconds the song is, which is crazy. Uh, It was nominated for five MTV Video Music Awards at the 1996 MTV. My favorite MTV Video Music Award is 1996. That's when Liam came out shit-faced in that brown suit and did Champagne Supernova and spit on the stage. (laughs) And like um, said derogatory things to the audience. And then I think left the tour three days later, the U.S. tour to go buy a house or find a house with his then wife. Or oh, girlfriend. 90s lamb. <laughs> uh, okay. And there you go. So three songs, three singles, three hits. It's front loaded. There's no doubt about that. Uh, let's now move on to track four. I I like how, uh, how Grohl is... Sneaky, the smartest guy in the room, too. You know how I know that? This tra- this album, 12 tracks. Mm. Perfect. Yeah. Which I believe was kind of a Nirvana staple, too. Yeah. Uh, never mind, was 12 tracks as well. Um, I think uh, I think we got to give uh, credit also to the Unplugged album for bridging the gap from Nirvana to this album as well. Because you had... People kind of forget the that Pearl Jam we talked about on the show had kind of surpassed Nirvana by in utero. Mm-hmm. So Nirvana, you could have made the case back then in real time that they had peaked already mm-hmm. with uh, Nevermind. But then after Cobain died, they put out Unplugged, I believe, in no- November 94. Yep. And that album was huge, massive. And Dave Grohl has a big role in that album, too, like... Everyone watched the Unplugged constantly on MTV because they aired it on loop. And he's got the horrible ponytail. So many young girls started wearing ponytails thanks to Dave Grohl. <laughs> it was really influential. And, and turtle, navy blue turtlenecks. Turtlenecks and ponytails became the look for young ladies everywhere. Do you, you think that like, if he would have known that that would have been one of the most iconic live performances in the history of rock and roll, he would have rethought the long ponytail and navy blue turtleneck? <laughs> Maybe maybe I won't put on a scrunchie. Maybe we'll see. <laughs> I'm gonna hold on the scrunchie, and then like Cobain effortlessly 
puts together the the green cardigan with like the beat up t-shirt mm-hmm. and the cool jeans mm-hmm. and the converse sneakers and it's an iconic look for the ages yeah and pat smear no shoes they knew what they were doing they were rolled in it influencers he's just a kid This is one of the oldest Dave Grohl songs. This is a great story about him. Ready for a little song history? Oh, please, hit me. Dave Grohl wrote and recorded the song, Alone and Easy Target, which, by the way, was a U.S. radio-only single in 1996. Huh. Uh, But he wrote and recorded the song in its original form in 1991. He played the demo... For Kurt Cobain, in a break between touring for the album Nevermind, according to Grohl, I told him I was recording and he said, oh, I want to hear it, bring it by. He was sitting in the bathtub with a Walkman on, listening to the song, and when the tape ended, he took the headphones off and kissed me and said, oh, finally, now I don't have to be the only songwriter in the band. I said, no, 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 I think we're doing just fine with your songs. That's pretty cool. In that, in that scene, I like to imagine Chris Novoselic taking a dump on the toilet right next to the bathtub while this was all happening. Like a big stinky number two. Big stinky dump. And like he's reading a magazine, so he's not even kind of realizing that there's other people in there with him. Right. He's in his own world. He's, he's like in a, his Novoselic world. A big galoof. He's kind of like, <laughs> I, I never thought of this before, but the alternate history... Where Nirvana stays together, Kurt Cobain lives, and then there's like a George Harrison dynamic where Dave Grohl's songwriting starts to gain influence in the band, and then Cobain is writing songs and Grohl's writing songs, and the band goes on for another 20 years. I don't think anybody's ever game played that one. Yeah. Can you imagine that? I always, it seems so unlikely because I think the first place everybody's mind goes to is, oh, Dave Grohl would have left the band. Nirvana would have been one thing. Dave Grohl would have done something separate. And that's where most people think it could have gone. Right. Or he would have stayed. I've never really looked at it that way. But because he was so deferential, as he even says in that quote, uh, no, 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 I think we're doing just fine with your songs. I could even imagine a world where like, he wrote songs and Cobain was singing them. Like imagine that, like if he, and then Dave Grohl did his solo stuff as well, maybe in between tours, 
but where they became a songwriting team. I mean, oh, it is, uh, it's amazing to think about that that could have happened. Whoa. Then again, the reason I've never thought about it before and the reason you don't hear people talk about it, Nirvana felt like it was kind of at the end, yeah, Kurt, even before he died. Kurt Cobain, that anecdote aside, didn't feel like a guy who, not even that he needed the spotlight for because of his ego or whatever, but he didn't feel like a guy who would have seated the mic or shared the process, the front man process of what Nirvana was like. That just wasn't kind of what he felt like to us at the time, but who knows who the hell knows? Maybe there is an alternate timeline where Nirvana stays together, but Dave Grohl joins Mike and the mechanics. Did you ever even think of that? No. Why would anybody who's not a fucking idiot ever think of that? Because Mike Rutherford of Genesis is in the band, but guess what? Collins then, is the drummer. They needed a drummer. And Dave Aberziz from Pearl Jam goes to be the drummer of Nirvana, so there's still a Dave behind the drums. Okay, now you're the idiot. Good grief. What did you think about this album, Bob? Well, in 1995. Yeah, so we spoke about the excitement about this album coming out, and especially with the first single and then even the second single. I remember getting this album, both of us did, and listening to it a lot because that's what you did when you bought a CD in 1995. You would listen to it because you just spent 12 to 15 hard earned dollars on it, mm-hmm. and there wasn't going to be another good CD to come out for a few weeks at least. So this was what you would just play on repeat. And I remember listening to it, liking uh, liking a lot of the songs, but it never felt to me like a great album at the time. I agree. I, I kind of, at the time, was a little bit disappointed by the album. I think because I had built it up so much in my mind, mm-hmm. especially when I heard This Is A Call and then I'll Stick Around. I was like, oh, God, this is going to be another Nirvana album. This is going to be Nevermind. Uh, but it wasn't. It was really what it was ultimately was a super promising debut album from a guy releasing his first album. But it wasn't, I don't think it was Foo Fighters as a finished product or him at his height. That came a couple years later, I think. Well, I think an album's like one of two things. It's either something where you're just listening to it until you get to the next album in your life and then you just move on and kind of throw it by the wayside or it's something that you keep going back to. And this was definitely... The, the former for me, where it was once I moved on to whatever came next, maybe it was like STP Purple or whatever was like the next right. album in this class. I stopped listening to this one. I'd throw it in occasionally to listen to the first few songs, but it wasn't an album that I went back to a lot. Yeah, I think I was in the same boat. I'm trying to think what was, 
what would have been the album in the fall of 95 that wiped it off the map? That was a great year for alternative music. Great year for alternative. I don't know why I said purple, but it does feel like it's on the same level. Was that Vitology? Was that 95? That might have been Vitology's year. It was either 94 or 95. It's a long ass time ago, dude. I don't remember. Oh, no. I know, Bob. I mean, where do the years go, bro? Let me look that up real quick. Vitology. Uh, no, it's November 94. Right. So that doesn't stand or hold on any fucking level. <laughs> All right. Uh, next up is. Uh, let's see. Floaty. Floaty. Maybe a STP purple. Yeah, I don't know why. I think I think so. Mm. It feels right to me. What was the big album of the fall of 1995? Nope, Purple came out a year before. Fuck! <laughs> We're so off. Oh, wait. What's the story, Morning Glory? I think it might have been. Might have been a waste of time. Could have been. No, that also came out in 1994. No, I'll, I'll, I'll check. I'll check. What's the story? Morning Glory released October 2nd, 1995. Okay. So that was at least my attention had been diverted at that point. things number one melancholy and the infinite sadness came out in october 95 while oasis is brit pop smashing pumpkins it's the same dna is foo fighters so i think that would have been the next one especially with all those monster singles that kind of moved us away from foo fighters so you had those big smashing pumpkin singles you had that one two three punch on what's the story and uh but you know foo fighters didn't go away for long because they basically from 95, when this album came out, really for the next probably 10 years, mm-hmm. 12 years, every album they put out had one or two big radio hits. At least. And the second thing I was going to say is this is a really good song, and it sounds even yes, better now. Yes, it is. I, I'm totally with you. This has got to be a song that the big Foo heads get excited oh, the, about if he plays the it. The Foo yeah. Yeah, the Foo the Fujis, they love this one. 
who's playing this live. To the point we were making. When he came back with the color and the shape, Monkey Wrench blasted off top 10 mainstream rock charts. So, like, they were off and running. So, whereas this album maybe... I was going to say it's front-loaded, and it is certainly singles-wise, but I would say Floaty... I think that stands alongside it. That's probably my favorite song I've heard that's kind of off the radar a little bit. Yeah. All right, here's Weenie Beanie. I'd imagine you probably would. If you could take it back, maybe you take it back. Like the ponytail. You ever seen Foo Fighters Live? They were at Coachella when I went in 2002. Did you make a point to go see them? Yes. So I saw them, saw them for a little bit. It was, uh, I think it was the second night. And I remember they were playing right around sunset. So I watched, we were watching a little bit of Foo Fighters, me and my friend Brian. And then Bell and Sebastian was playing at the second stage. So we kind of made our way to Bell and Sebastian, saw a little bit of that, and then ultimately kind of ended up right in between the two stages so you could hear both of them on and off oh, wow. as the sun was going down. But my main Foo Fighters memory was this was Coachella 02. It was like The Strokes and Oasis and Bjork was a headliner that year. It wasn't like the Coachella experience of hot girls taking selfies in front right. of a Ferris wheel. Like it was kind of like a music nerd festival. And I remember a girl got on somebody's shoulders and as Dave Grohl was playing, flashed him. I think I've told the story on the podcast. You have this, this is, you're in danger here. now. I'm in Foo Fighters every time Dave Grohl comes up, but it's, <laughs> I think it's still really cool. Flashed him. And at the end of the song, Dave Grohl said, Hey, and to the, uh, the girl who just flashed, thanks. I appreciate it. But my mom's here. Could you, could we not do that tonight guys? <laughs> Like, that was the vibe at Coachella, and I thought that was so funny and cool at the time. Yeah, Coachella is a lot different now. Actually, there is no now anymore. No, there's now, no now. is over. Yeah. Um, I saw them once. Uh, I think I brought this up on the pod, too, before, but I'll, I'll say it again since we're doing Foo Fighters album. Uh, last year in Atlanta in February uh, for the Super Bowl, they headlined one of the big parties. Awesome show. Fucking great. And uh, Taylor Hawkins, again, the drummer, very cool. He kind of pops out every once in a while and does some singing. Grohl will get behind the drum set. And in this particular show, Roger Taylor of Queen came out uh, to do Under Pressure uh, with Taylor Hawkins singing. Um, Tom Morello came out and played War Pigs. Perry Farrell came out and did Mountain Song. It was like... Oh, my God. It was so cool. an insane show, and it was one of my favorite live shows I've ever seen. And Grohl basically looked like... He had an, that's one of my favorite moves that's is awesome. when pop stars don't age and they don't look weird. Dave Grohl, who at this point, I, what is he now? He's got to be 50, 55? 55 feels old. 50. When, when this album came out, he looked like he was 36, but he was probably 26. Mm-hmm. And then he held that I'm 36 look from 26 to 46. And yeah. now he looks a little older, but still is not... He's got all his hair. He still probably weighs within 10 pounds of what he did when this album came right. out. That is one of the rare skills of humanity. You just got to give it up. He's 51. He's 51. It just goes to show you how young he was. 
Like, he was the drummer on Nevermind, an album that was recorded in 1991. Yeah. And he's only 51. Yeah. Crazy, man. All right, here's O. George. also reminds me bob that hater one of the great picks ever for my like cool guy hangout sesh mm-hmm. where i just wiped the floor with you in this competition you know, the jury is out i had bill hater dave grohl and somebody else uh-huh. and you had do you remember i know you had rich I, I only remember rich eisen yeah i think ben NFL folds Networks, ben folds rich eisen don't remember who my other one was. Weird Al? No. no it wasn't even that cool. <laughs> Weird Al would have been a step up from my third. Oh, I, I had a I had a oh, you had, you had Ariana, Jenna Fisher, right? No, you had Ariana Grande. Oh. <laughs> what a what a trio. Come on, Bob. <laughs> you got Grande, who's got all sorts of energy. You got Grohl, who also he could pick up the guitar, he could pick up the drums, he could tell a joke. And you got Hater, who's like one of the he's like the nice guy of comedy. Uh-huh. And you listen, I know Rich. Rich is a really good guy. Yeah. And he's the face of NFL Network. Talk talk poorly of Rich right now. Come yeah, on. Yeah, no, nice job by you yeah, there. There we go. Uh you had Ben Folds who honestly we could probably look him up in the in the white pages right now and he would come to the garage. <laughs> he's a very busy man. Um and then whoever whoever was the third person, which was it Ben Lee? No, it wasn't Ben Lee. Try to think of it. I'll, I'll remember. I'm disappointed because this is something that you would always know. And maybe it's showing your age a little bit here. <laughs> it's, it's showing that I didn't care about it. <laughs> All right, that's Oh George. I have no memory of that song. All having right. ever existed. Up next is a song I do remember... I don't know if there was a video or it got radio play. Um, I'll have to check if it was one of the released singles, but it's a uh, a slower song. It's called For All the Cows. I remember really liking this song. I'm excited about this one. Talk about a palate cleanser. You've had a, a, a few songs in a row that have kind of had that driving rock sound, mm-hmm. and then you need this in a big spot, and it comes through. Go. 
That was you. Fun song. There's that quiet, loud dynamic. That yeah, but the quiet on this is quieter than anything Nirvana's ever done. I, I mean, it's lithium. It's kind of got a, a lithium type, kind of almost lulls you uh, into a sense that you're listening to a different song. Um, this was a single. It was released after I'll Stick really? Around and before Big Me. That's weird. Yep. All right, I'm going to ask a question, Bob. At 40 years old, if I, if I gave you the option, you could be Patrick Mahomes, mm-hmm. Super Bowl MVP, mm-hmm. NFL MVP, Lombardi Trophy winner, 24 years old, just signed the biggest contract in the history of sports, right. $500 million. Okay. Or Dave Grohl. Do I live? You're 24 in both cases. Oh, 24-year-old Dave Grohl. And 24-year-old Pat Mahomes. All right, here's here's a factor. Am I 24-year-old Dave Grohl in the 90s? Like, is it 92 or is it now? Hmm. Your brain is really working overtime. No, you know why? Because who would want to live now? That's the thing. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, I'm factoring that in, not just because of the current... Uh, awfulness that we're all stuck in. All right, scale back. Strip the the context of where it is. It would have been a lot more fun to be a famous 24-year-old rock star in 1992 than a famous anything in 2020. Yeah. All right. So who would you rather be? Dave Grohl in 1995 or Ken Griffey Jr.? All right. Now we're just really want to play this game now. You don't even care what you're saying. Dave Grohl. I'll take Dave Grohl. It's pretty cool. You know what I think puts Grohl over the top, too? Here's ecstatic, by the way. What I think puts puts Grohl over the top, I mean, what a fucking move to be like, you know, I'm in this band with one of the greatest rock stars in the history of the medium, and um, I'm a little shy about it. I'm a little shy about my songs, Mm -hmm. but they're pretty good. I think they're pretty good. I know all these instruments. I got. I can know how to play all these. Things. I know so many instruments. <laughs> so many. How instruments. do I know all these instruments? I'm so good at all these chords and, <laughs> and all these drum beats, like drumsticks. I could pick them up and use them. As you could tell, again, as an aside, we're <laughs> musicians. Oh look, there's a bass. It has fewer strings than a guitar, but that doesn't I affect me at them. all. It doesn't bother me one bit. There's four strings on that. I can play the six string as well, <laughs> and I could play these skins. Oh. And oh, I can gonna, sing a little bit. You're going to bring in an extra cymbal there? Not a problem. I can hit that cymbal too. Hey, Dave, you want to lay down some tracks with these songs you've written in this notebook? No. I can play all these instruments. <laughs> <laughs> I I mean, I'll hang out with you later, but like, I'm just going to rent out the studio, which I can because I'm a millionaire. Because hmm? I was in you know, Nirvana. Hmm? That's cool. I was going to play my instruments. Play my instruments. All of the them. Bass. All of them. Four stringer, six stringer, skins. Singing. Will that, uh, that piano in there. I bet I can play that too. Not an ugly guy. I would assume I could play that piano. 
Listen, I'm not the most handsome guy. I'm not ugly either. I'm ugly guy. Got all my hair. Skinny. Rock star. Vibe. That seems like a good guy to be. Not a bad guy to be. Now, Kid Griffey Jr., what a slugger. <laughs> what a slugger. The kid wore that hat the backwards. Kid, I mean, thumbing his nose at the establishment with that backwards hat. <laughs> Successful dad. Yeah. Made that one catch where he ran up the outfield wall. No, that was Bo. That was Bo. But Ken did Ken, the jump though. where he put the, the arm over the fence. Blew those big bubbles. Kid was just having fun out there. Just a kid. But you know what, Ken? Turn that hat back around. Respect the sport. Boom. Thank you. <laughs> Somebody said it. <laughs> Somebody had to say it. There were multiple newspaper articles about Ken Griffey not <laughs> respecting the game. Respecting the sport. Because when he took batting practice, he wore a backwards hat and blue bubbles. Yep. <laughs> Simpler hey, time. You know what? Well, it's nice to know that we were always assholes. Here's uh, Ecstatic. All right. 25, 25 years later, I get it. X static, like happy, very happy, but X, letter X, static. You know yeah. what? You you put it together. I did not. And it doesn't make this song much better, though. No, it doesn't. It's a little bit of a mid-album filler. Yep. Closer to late-album filler because here's track 11 of 12, Watershed. Excuse me. Another play on words here, Bob. Not watershed. Watershed. Like Watts. Okay. You know Watts. Yeah, yeah. Kid from our high school. feel like the building blocks to future Foo Fighter songs that were better than these. Right. Like, this is the beginning. I think what I like about Foo Fighters is his ability to kind of marry this cool kind of driving alternative hard rock sound with melody, Mm -hmm. which he's knocking out of the park at the beginning of the album. And then... A lot of these tracks to me have a sameness to them that explains why I didn't listen to this album start to finish repeatedly this, like in other other albums that I loved at the time. Right. This song reminds me of a less catchy Mean Machine by Sugar Ray. Oh, man. Was that... Too- that was the meanest thing you've ever, ever said about <laughs> anyone on this podcast. Mean Machine. Mean Machine. Daddy our, said son. Right. No? Our friend uh, Mike Dude Love... Um, who is just woeful taste in music. We've brought him up a couple times on this podcast. He's the one that has that went out and purchased the Godzilla, Godzilla soundtrack. soundtrack come, in, come with me. Come with me in 1998. And he's the one where we went to the Virgin Megastore and we were all like, oh, I, I found the uh, import uh, single of Don't Go Away. Oh, wow. There's a lot of cool, like, you know, B-sides in this. Mike was the one who's like, oh, I found uh, Sarah McLaughlin's uh, building a mystery Adia. single. It's like what? <laughs> it was Adia. <laughs> no, it was building a mystery. Okay. I'll never forget it. I remember being like, I remember going up to Mike and being like, Mike, do you really want to buy the single to building a mystery by Sarah <laughs> McLaughlin? Like what? 
songs on the radio all the time. Uh, gotta have it. Gotta I mean, have it. It's not something. I don't think it's something you need, but we're not gonna stop you. Can't remember <laughs> if he bought it or not. I'll have to text him and find out if you ended up buying. We it. gotta get to the bottom of that. Um. Anyway, what was the point? <laughs> I don't remember. Me, Sugar Ray. Oh, Sugar Ray. He. We went on a one of our trips with our high school friends down to Wildwood, New Jersey, uh, which is about a three-hour ride from uh, where we grew up in uh, Pearl River in Rockland County in New York. And uh, Mike had, because on the strength of the Sugar Ray single fly, had purchased the whole album. Mm -hmm. Again, Record Industry had it coming because people like our good friend Mike Dude Love. We're just getting snookered into this. $15? 15 bucks. Because he liked fly. This guy barely liked music. Clearly, he doesn't know what he's doing. He likes Fly. He buys the entire So album. anyone that listened to the record company and Lars Ulrich crying a river about being robbed of their um, hard-earned money, uh, never forget that there were people like Mike Dulove who spent $15 because he liked Fly by Sugar Ray. <laughs> we listened to some of that uh, album in the car, and by I would say probably by about what exit 75 maybe when we got to garfield or something uh uh maybe 157 um he was so angry that he had bought the cd that he took it out and then put it on the back dash so it would roast in the sun yes even he knew it was terrible so to, mike to, love to mike's credit he knew that it was shit that being said should we do a sugar ray episode soon? yes yeah. yes unequivocally Final track on Foo Fighters, self-titled debut by Foo Fighters, is Exhausted. Oh, let's read into this. So he chose the name Foo Fighters, by the way, to project, to project, excuse me, to hide his identity. So he kind of did it because he knew that the Nirvana thing was just going to overwhelm everything. Mm -hmm. So he made up the name Foo Fighters, which is such a great band name. It is. It's a great name. By the way, is it Foo Fighters or Foo Fighters? Where do you hit it? Where do you stress it? Here we go. Hey, how do you feel about the uh, Foo Fighters? So I go Foo, Foo Fighters, right? Foo Fighters, yeah. Some people say it's Foo Fighters. Foo Fighters? Yeah. I don't like that. I don't like those people. I don't either. Anyway, he chose the name to pr protect his identity. Pa as I said, passed cassette copies of the sessions to personal friends. And that eventually landed in the ha hands of people who knew people at record labels. And he signed with Capitol, recruited a full band to perform the songs live. Multiple tours later, six singles later, two music videos later. It's one of the biggest selling out rock albums of the year. Good job by Pat Smear getting in on that. I feel like he's a guy who could have been destined for a life of hanging out in record stores and uh, having stories about having played with Nirvana, but had a full on career. 
I mean, I'm pretty sure he had a distinguished career before Nirvana, though, didn't he? Guy didn't wear shoes. Was, guy bar- was, guy well, barely listen, wore shoes. How could I'm not going to argue with you on that. He didn't wear shoes and was a little showy. <laughs> but I believe he was in one of those bands that Kurt Cobain looked at as, yes. you know, unimpeachable. Let's put on some shoes, dude. Smear did a nice job. Smear also did a, a move where, remember they made a big deal about, uh, it was again at the MTV Music Awards, He they did a performance on top of Radio City Music Hall, and it was like, this is Pat Smear's final performance with Foo Fighters. And then he fucked off for about two tours or so. And then mm-hmm. quietly is like, oh, I should probably get back. In front yeah, of I'm going to go back to the Foo Fighters now, guys. And now he's been in there. He's been in the band for the last like 20 years or so. All right. Uh, Moldy Peaches. Is that the band he was in? No, that was Adam Green. <laughs> Another, maybe he was in my friend's circle. I bet it was something like Moldy Peaches, though. It was The Germs. The Germs, which is not at all like Moldy Peaches. Well, it was gross. Something you don't want. Germs are in multi peaches. There you go, dude. Put it on the board. Put it on the coronavirus board for some reason. Scribble, scribble, scribble. Oh, my God. Pat Smear's real name is George Albert Ruthenberg. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's amazing. That's pretty great. Listen, a reminder that you could be anybody or anything you want, people. It's a great lesson. I'm going to tell my son that story. Because Pat Smear's real name is George, with no E at the end, Albert Ruthenberg. <laughs> There you go, Bob. We did it. I uh, I enjoyed going down memory lane there uh, with the Foo Fighters, and they are an important band in alternative rock and history of alternative rock. And Grohl, here we are now in 2020, 25 years later, is one of the most important rock figures mm-hmm. of his generation. And he's never going to be Kurt Cobain because Cobain became something that is bigger than you know, alternative rock itself. Yeah. Uh, but when people talk about uh, Dave Grohl, the Nirvana thing is now a footnote. It's not the main part of his story. And that is to me, I mean, it's the origin story. It will mm-hmm. always be an important part of his story, but it's not the first thing people think of. And that's, that's quite an accomplishment. That's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, to be able to do that, escape that shadow, escape that melodrama and the tragedy of all of it, and then become one of the biggest rock stars uh, of the past 25 years, fucking Dave Grohl figured it out. And that's why he's in my band of buddies. No, mine too. Um, no, 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 no. You, you don't wait, get wait, Grohl. But, uh, yeah, I think I You don't get Grohl. Get Grohl. I'll take him. You have but, Ben Folds. Yeah, we, the three of us will have fun. We... Um, I forgot what I was going to say. I was too busy sniping Grohl that I forgot what I was going to say. Why would you ever? Nobody. The only person that snipes Grohl besides you is Courtney Love. I was Do you really say, want to be in that company? I don't want to be in that company. I was going to say when you don't step out from Kurt Cobain's shadow and go on to forge a bigger career than you could have ever imagined, you become Chris Novoselic. He, isn't he like a Trump guy or something? He, became, he said some kind of Trump defense recently that made everybody hate him. Just hey, Chris, just lay low. Lay low. Lay, lay low, dude. Uh, all right. Well, you we say that, but in that in a recent article I did read about Grohl in the, in the retrospective article on this, he said the guys that matter to him most that he thanks for this album 
is not just Kurt Cobain, but also Chris. Nice. Because if Chris wasn't there, nobody would have been able to throw a bass and smack himself in the head right. at the uh, MTV Movie Awards or whatever the fuck it was. Yeah, and if worse came to worse, we know Dave Grohl could have picked up that bass and been like, okay, there's four strings on this. Four strings? Not six, but you know what? Not a problem. Here's the breakdown. Bass, four strings. Regular guitar, six strings. Not Skins. Skins, got him. So Microphone for singing. <laughs> this is a music podcast. Anything you throw my way, I got it. Yeah, so we we get it. We get it like Dave got it. It's like if a, a, the bio for this podcast is like two Berkeley School of Music graduates <laughs> discuss <laughs> two lifelong musicians. All right, good stuff. So, like we do it every single episode. Besides, make idiots of ourselves. We pick one song to put on the Spotify. Besides, outing ourselves as imbeciles. <laughs> throwback <laughs> podcast playlist. But before we pick a song off of Foo Fighters, Dan, we got to thank the people that make this thing oh, go. Oh yeah. We got to thank our amazing pa- oh, yeah. Patreonies at Patreon.com/slash Patch Bombs Throwback Pod. Everybody that's kicking in two dollars a month, six dollars a month, and voting in the polls. We got a couple of uh, poll episodes coming up soon, including Interpol and NXS. Hey, Bob. Yeah. How do you get into the tier where you get extra content from us? Extra content. $12 a month. You get a monthly mini pod where if you like hearing these two idiots talk about dumb shit, more of that. Like another 10 minutes of us where you could see our dumb faces on. And it's not getting better. (laughs) It's exactly. See our dumb faces and my beautiful mustache on uh on video we, we're doing that every month now so you guys can join twelve dollars a month two dollars a month whatever just we love everybody that kicks in especially dan our top tier patreonies bruno the sponsor mm-hmm. courtney and wyatt mm-hmm. and of course all the way from australia Kleine, representing west our, side representing our favorite australian Rams. eagles the West Coast Eagles. West Coast Eagles. Yep. Fuck those East Coast Seahawks. We are the they biggest, suck. biggest West Coast Eagles fans in California right here on this podcast. I feel so strongly, Bob, about the throwback podcast playlist, playlist single that I I just want to be granted um, full power in this case. You have immunity. Go for it. All right, good. I'm not going to stop you. All right. The uh, latest addition to the throwback podcast playlist is For this all the cows. Is a call. <laughs> By Foo Fighters, the lead single and track one on the album we just listened to. Uh, so check out the Throwback Podcast playlist on Apple Music. Is it really, though? It's on Spotify. It's I know there. that for sure. Okay. It's there. Is it updated, though? Every time. In fact, as I like to point out, you can get a little teaser for every episode by jumping over to the uh, Apple playlist. Which Oh, that's right. You fucking ruin our episodes yes. by putting up the song. It's it's quite a dick move. There's a there's a difference between a teaser and a spoiler. If somebody was actually right. like losing sleep, like I, I wonder. Well, what it's not even a spoiler. It's like a ruiner. <laughs> a ruiner. <laughs> anyway, uh, check it out uh, wherever you get your streaming music. Uh, you can find the Throwback Podcast playlist, uh, which now holds "This Is a Call," which yes. is nice. Which follows um, the Human League. The Human League. How many playlists have the Human League straight into? Foo Fighters. This is the only one. The only one. All right. And that, by the way, is now 110 songs deep. So you can just play that wow. for almost eight hours. That's it's a day of work. That's it's a day of work. If wo- you had to go to an office. Work isn't a thing anymore. Right. If you had to go somewhere and listen to music all day, you could do it. All right. Uh, look us up on Twitter, Throwback Pod, 
uh, Instagram, throwbackpod. Email us at thethrowbackpod at gmail. We're still taking um, info on the, uh, what was the the man-on-man sex act we were curious oh, about? Oh, wait, we're still inquiring about that? If people want to just talk about it, we'll, we're all ears. What was that? Oh, can dudes bump balls? Yeah, bumping balls. Bumping balls. Is that Any other bumping ball stories out there for the gay listeners? We'd love to hear about <laughs> or it. Or straight listeners that just like have fun sometimes. Yeah, yeah, the bisexual guys that are just you know working on some things. Please hit us up over there at the Throwback Pod at Gmail. Thank you. We'll see you in two weeks. And this is a call. And wear a face mask. Right? For sure, bro. Okay. Imagine, though, somebody wasn't wearing one, and then they just heard us say it at the end of this stupid episode, and they're like, okay, now I will. Oh, so bumping balls, updates coming, and I should wear a mask. Okay, I'm going to buy a mask. Cool, cool, cool. Cool.